you know, I was always going to invest and I liked the, the price of ETH where it was. But the thing is, the second it hit 1400, I was like, if this isn't like a fake bull and this is a real bull, um, I'm like, I don't have time to make the portfolio. Like, I need to just like F it, just buy ETH. So that's what I did. Arana Ventures. Hey, everybody. Um, glad to have you back. This is our third episode of Cast, And yeah, we're happy to get started. We're, we've been working on the quality, trying to make the quality in every episode a little better. So we're trying out different platforms. Let me know what you think of this one. If you feel like the quality was good, if you have tips on how we could you know, improve it. But yeah, uh, to get started over the last couple of weeks, a lot, of ha a lot has happened in terms of our work and our, some developments here, both in Ann Arbor and with just Abdullah and I and the work we're doing. Not a lot has been happening in crypto per se, but there are some updates that we'd be happy to share. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to talk about what we've been looking into this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a, gonna be a good one. I, over the past like, so since like the, after the holidays, since the start of January, we have pivoted a little bit in terms of the direction we're going, in terms of what the research we're doing, and some of our goals and objectives for uh, for this year. And a couple, some reevaluations we've done with some of our fundraising and uh, our fund strategy overall. Uh, but our project right now that we're currently undertaking is looking through some of the top projects uh, or the top really 2000 projects that Parth has actually sifted through over the past few weeks. And we are slowly starting to distill them like a little funnel um, more and more from different sectors. We're looking at NFT marketplaces. We're looking at gaming. We're looking a little bit of a little bit of DeFi, but we're trying to cover the broad scope of the entire market and create uh, a relative overview, like a, an understand, understanding of multiple narratives that are coming into fruition over time and hopefully capturing those um, before the next bull run actually occurs. So Parth, how about we start off with uh, just couple of the findings you found with uh with your research into the 2000 and uh we can get into a couple of the sectors afterwards into particularly maybe uh the nft marketplaces and then uh maybe into binance smart chain because there's some developments going on um there as well yeah that sounds that sounds great when i was doing the uh the 2000 first fall um was not fun doing that but I know it's something we're going to have to do on a fairly regular basis, like a couple times a year to stay up to date. In terms of patterns that I saw, a lot of DeFi and a lot of it is, you know, incremental value. A lot more gaming than I expected. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of games that all kind of, again, do the same thing. And they are, a lot of them seem to be pretty focused on play to earn. But there are a lot of platforms and technologies being worked under kind of what the user might see that actually is really cool. So like gaming infrastructure. Um, I think there are good games though, don't get me wrong. It's just few and far many. Um, in other areas, I'd say stuff like real world utility. I hate using that term, but whatever. 
uh, with real world utility, you're usually seeing things like healthcare, real estate, uh, those sort of things. They all seem to have been launched in like 2017, which is really interesting. Um, and they more or less kind of flopped. Yeah. But there are very few that succeeded. And even the ones that did succeed didn't actually really like, if you want to use um, Theta as an example, or you want to use, well, actually Helium's a better example. Helium succeeded from like a financial perspective, but did it really succeed? Like did it, like what impact has it had? Right, so that's one where it's maybe those real world utilities, which I think are powerful and will happen, either the, the process to develop them is significantly longer or it's just too early. And I honestly think it's a little too early. And this also applies to, to enterprise too. Same thing. A lot of enterprise companies came out in 2017. Like, and, and I know, I, I think I think it was you that looked in the enterprise. Um, they're like very underwhelming. There's nothing that pops. Yeah. Something that I believe is, is true in this sector is that, I mean, this is one stance that we've taken with some of the liquid venture approach. So right now, our purview, our timeline that we're looking at for investment is very much in the line of a hedge fund. So that's sort of where we have pivoted towards. So we want to capture as much value as possible and invest in projects that are going to do well in the next cycle. But from a venture perspective, that's where we could look at these other quote unquote, real world utilities of blockchain of crypto. And these these things take time. There are moats developed around these different uh, different barriers of entries developed around these other industries, traditional industries like healthcare. And there's a lot of regulation that has to be dealt with. And so a lot of these projects were too, they may have been good. Don't get me wrong. They, some of them are solid. Some of them have good founders, except they hit a certain wall. And they couldn't get beyond that wall. And that's either a regulatory wall or it's just simply too early for them. So a lot of the infrastructure that is being developed is probably just going to be Web3 native at the moment. And we're going to have a slow and steady transition from Web2 to Web3. And right now, I think one of the best projects we, some of the best projects are going to be the ones that sort of build this bridge between the two. And jumping directly into the deep end with full integration of blockchain into your into your ecosystems, into certain industries is, is certainly not going to work. No technology adoption pattern works that way. And so that's why stuff like this, like healthcare is going to take a while to, you know, to get to accrue adoption. And if we were VCs, or if we were focusing more on, you know, a venture capital fund, which we may do in the future, it's, we would have a different timeline and different criteria for assessment. Right now, that assessment is not is not for real world assets or whatnot. Those would be cool, but we're looking more like transition assets. Um, and so, there, and so some of these projects from 2017 have died because of those reasons. And one of the interesting things is, uh, I want to add on to your 2000 research, is that when we are doing our second look at some of these projects that you have highlighted, a lot of them just died out. They died out because it's so easy to launch a token, try it out for a little bit, dabble, and then just leave. And that makes our job so much harder because it means we have more stuff to sift through. And it's hard to tell when a token is completely died and when it's still active. Because 
trading volume is not a good proxy for an active project. And when we're looking at active user wallets, that data is difficult to come by as well because with smaller projects, it's not publicly available. It's more difficult to, difficult to essentially garner that data. And so that's some of the stuff we've realized that, you know, these 2017 projects, they still exist. They may still have trading volume, but that doesn't mean they have users. Um, so from that perspective, it's becoming more and more difficult to distill these projects. And when we're looking at, uh, looking at them, we're just throwing them out because they really haven't done any sort of development. But one interesting thing is their social platforms are still doing development. I believe we both looked at their Twitters, right? Some of these projects, they have tens and thousands of followers and they're still posting like every single day, but they have no activity on their platform. So looking at Twitter accounts is actually a pretty pretty bad proxy for some of these older projects. And I think that's one of the ways, you know, a lot of these projects are just, you know, garnering Twitter followers and then selling those accounts for a, for, you know, for a decent amount of money later on. But that's some of the trends that I've personally seen with the second dive of due diligence. I just looked at a project right before we hopped on this. It's called Unically. They do fractionalized NFTs. Um, I think fractionalized NFTs is an interesting play. That being said, Uniquely was, was pretty prominent about a year ago, and I'd actually heard about them. I looked into them. Twitter is still active. It's not super active, but, but it's fairly active. Um, you know, they still have their NFTs up. Trading volume is 20% market cap, which is pretty significant. So on the surface level, you're like, okay. There is, these guys are active. But then I went through, you know, I went on Dune, I, I looked at some of their other statistics, I kind of dug in um, to how, not not how does their token volume look, but the volume of their actual NFTs, right? And how many are they onboarding and things like that. And it's super low. It's like, it's pretty much dead, right? And that goes to your point, like, it's, it is hard. And I think today, because I don't see it too much in the sectors I'm looking at, because the sectors I'm looking at are newer. But I think this morning was the first time where I was like, ah, that's what Abdul was talking about. Yeah. 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 It's, it's especially, it's especially difficult with those. It, it, a lot of L1s are actually, it's just a graveyard. There are so many different L1s, L1s that were launching and there were, so to speak, Ethereum killers back in 2017. And even to today, I mean, we've seen a lot of money being raised for something like Aptos and then Sui's about to launch, et cetera. But there's a whole graveyard of L1s. There are a ton of gaming projects that actually popped up in the recent bull market because gaming projects are really easy to duplicate. That's the thing. You can just go into, you can grab a Unity package and have a basic template you can copy and paste, add a couple of, of graphics, color schemes, change a little bit of the code and make it look unique. But fundamentally, it's not anything different from other projects that already exist. It's just copy and pasting, just like a lot of projects are being forked. I mean, L1s were being forked. And now the, the packages, like the Unity packages for games, they're being copied and pasted as well. And so the output of games is super, super high. And, but there's no creativity there. And so right now, like one of the most annoying things about researching uh, projects that are publicly listed, like on CoinGecko, uh, Coin, um, uh, CoinMarketCap, is that there, it, there's so much, there's so much garbage to essentially feed around. 
And we essentially use like a ranking system, a numerical, numerical ranking system, and then call things either red, yellow, or, or green. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've barely found any greens. Most of them are either yellows because we want to circle back to them. And then a lot of them are just immediate reds. I'm starting to see some greens in the NFT, in the NFT space. And, and, but that's mainly because um, the NFT space and, and I really do stand by this, is probably seeing the most amount of innovation in 2022 and probably will continue to do so in 2023. And it's innovation that's not being realized financially yet. Um, I've found four greens in the last 30 projects, which is actually a pretty good hit rate for us. Like 10% is a lot higher than, because our goal is at least five, 5%, right? Um, so 10%. Fantastic, more than 10%. But I can see that with gaming, right? Like for you, what is your strategy as you're looking through? Because you're looking at a lot of games. What's your strategy with that? Do you think you might want to go for a platform or do you think there are games with a, a currency that's actually viable? Because a lot of those currencies are not viable. With an actually viable currency that will pop, like what's what's your approach right now? Right. Uh, I think the right approach to doing a first round of due diligence on games, the first most important thing is just to look at activity, developments, and overall sentiment. And this is basically a very heuristics overview. The first thing I don't look at is I don't look at tokenomics first. Tokenomics are very important for investability purposes, but they're not the first things they're not the first thing I look at because it takes a little bit more effort to go into their documents and to look at their vesting schedules, et cetera, to see what the tokenomics are like. But of course, there are a lot of issues that we have to deal with in a second round of due diligence with games. What I'm looking at right now is I'm looking at team. I'm looking at if they have a good developer base, if the CEO, CTO, they're competent people and have built something in the past. And that just weeds out a lot of projects right there from the get go. And the second thing I looked at uh, look at is a lot of their a lot of their social developments. Are they making you know partnerships? Are they active on Twitter like human beings? Because a lot of these Twitter accounts are basically just corporate accounts that are just posting random you know here's a giveaway or let's shout out this this development that's happening in our ecosystem and it's all uh, it's all very corporate and it feels very fake and it feels very automated. And the ones that are more human and genuine are the ones that are actually putting their time in to create a create a community and then you go into the comments and look at the sentiment and see if people are commenting you know if it's all traders that are looking at your token we're not focusing on that that's not our demographic we're looking at people who are actually garnering or who are actually developing a community inside of a certain protocol and now in terms of like what types of projects we're looking at it's really difficult to assess like individual games because again a lot of them just look the same a lot of them are difficult to assess from an initial round, that's why we call a lot of our, you know, a lot of our assessments yellows, because we want to circle back to them and look at some of the other metrics. But there are two things, two things in the gaming side right now, there are platforms that are being built, maybe an L1 that's being built uh, for gaming itself. And then you have individual games being built on different L1s or L2s. So there are different approaches. And the one and the approach to analyze individual games is actually more difficult, because they're all very, very uniform. But the process to analyze actual actual um 
actual tools or L1s or platforms that are garnering games and building games, those are a little bit easier to look at because you can actually see their user activity. You can see how many dApps are in their ecosystem. And a lot of the metrics are more clear cut. But the best ecosystems I've seen right now are the ones with higher market caps and they're a lot more established. I'm yet to find one that's more nascent. And that's exactly what we're looking for. But we have a, around like 250 different games that we have to have yet to analyze. So there's a lot of room to go. Now, games connect a lot with NFTs. And we're looking at, you know, the, the financial aspect of a lot of these games brings in NFT marketplaces. And I know that's something you have an opinion on. So I'd love to hear what, what your opinion is regarding the the rise of multiple different market marketplaces within individual games and then general purpose NFT marketplaces as well. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. What I'd say is from last time we talked about NFT marketplaces like a week or two ago, and if you look at my Twitter, you'll see this too. Um, I was pretty bullish on your general marketplaces your X2Y2s, your OpenSeas, maybe not OpenSea because it was losing market share, but X2Y2 and looks rare. Um, and a big reason was they're incredibly profitable. They are so much more profitable, like 10 times more profitable with the same volume as a DEX. So much more profitable because you don't have impermanent loss. You have a buyer and a seller and you just take a cut off that. And the cut you take off that transaction is significantly higher than the cut Uniswap charges um, or any of these DEXs. And looking into it, the PE ratios were really nice. They were shockingly low. Uh, it was a five for looks rare and a seven for X2Y2. So I felt really good. But as I dove deeper into the NFT ecosystem over the past few weeks and looked into, I've looked at a couple dozen marketplaces and a couple dozen NFT five projects, which are, you know, they're not direct competitors, but they're very close indirect competitors to these marketplaces. Um, and yeah, I've, I've gone through those and I'd say the biggest realization I've had is generalization for NFT trading or selling is, uh, is not the future. Generalization is not the future. The future for NFTs is segmentation. This is what I believe now. And I say this because as I was going on these different marketplaces, there really, I noticed three main use cases for using it. One is um, you want to speculate on NFTs. So you go on OpenSea and you look at board Ape Yacht Clubs, right? Board Apes and decide what you want to buy. Another reason is, uh, utility right so say you're playing a game and and you want like say you're playing call of duty and you want this gun right to use in the game that's uh that's utility that's an nft say you want a house deed utility ens domain utility things like that and then the third thing is art that's just you know you just like the aesthetics of the nft and i was looking and as i was looking into this i realized you're better off just segmenting in one of those areas than trying to do all three. So like Blur and NFT5, for example, their marketplaces are designed for speculation. So they have things like sweeps. They have the ability to like automate trades and enable people to, to implement bots, things like that. 
things and, 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 and implement higher, significantly higher levels of liquidity, which is a very fundamental requirement for speculative trading. And because they're, they're just focused on speculation, they're able to specialize in that and they're able to create a product just for that and totally dominate that area of the market. Then utility, utility providers, so ENS domains, or Savage, for example, I wrote a thread on them. They uh, they help create, they're trying to fight, you know, stock video and stock photo, that industry. And their their product actually seems to be doing a pretty good job at it. Their service that they provide already has a marketplace on it because the people who create the products and the people who want to buy the products and trade the products are already on that platform. So why would they go elsewhere for the marketplace? They're already on that platform together. Just build the marketplace there. You already have everybody you need in your community, the buyers, the sellers, and the creators already on this platform. Just create the marketplace there. You can charge higher fees than OpenSea is going to charge. People will still stay in that marketplace because of convenience. Because they know when they sell, they don't have to fight with all these other NFT projects to get attention. No, they're selling directly to people who want that sort of project. Right. So, Park, um, tell me, why doesn't yeah. this work with physical products? Because what? Why has everybody, all collectors or all people who are selling on the secondary market, are like, why is eBay successful? Why is Amazon successful? Why does this differentiate from digital assets like NFTs versus physical products? That's a that's a fantastic question. Um, and I think it's because, I mean, it's what you said right there, physical versus digital. When, when you're looking at a physical product, like I'm just going to use this, for example, right? I actually bought this from Amazon a couple of weeks ago. This is a, like a dongle to USB input and a USB-C output. Um, I bought it for this podcast. And when I'm buying this, I, can, I don't know where to go. I'm buying something physical. I don't know where to go. So I just go to Amazon. Do I go to like Best Buy? Like, no, bestbuy.com. No, I'm going to go to Amazon because I'm doing something physical, but I'm transitioning to a digital mean to execute the delivery, right? So if there's a central hub for me to transition from wanting a physical asset and going and ordering it in a digital world, I want it to be all in the same place. But if I'm already in a digital world, and I'm using a natively digital product, I would rather just have that marketplace be alongside that natively digital product. Because here I'm going from physical to digital, that's one step. And if it's the same dig digital thing every time, great. But if I'm already on digital, I don't need to make that step. Mm -hmm. Now making that step becomes inconvenient. Instead, if you put the marketplaces in alongside the product i don't need to go anywhere i'm already on the marketplace exactly so like, yeah. I, yeah i i don't know how clear that was but it is a completely different behavioral pattern 